0: Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Deeper Still, a podcast where we carve out space for meaningful conversation about God and life as we seek to pay attention to the ways he calls us to go deeper still in relationship with him and with one another. My name is Sue Ann Camfield and I have the joy of being the host of this podcast. So, hey, it's 2024. It is a new year. This is the first time we have been back with a Deeper Still episode since we took a break in January. So I just want to say welcome. Welcome to those of you who have been hanging around the Deeper Still community for a while It's so great to be on this journey with you. And so thanks for coming back for a new year. So excited about so many of the conversations we are going to have together. And also, I wanted to say, if today is your first time listening, maybe you are new to the Deeper Still community, I want to say welcome to you. I'm so glad you found us. I'm always up for feedback about this podcast, so I would love to hear from you and know you're listening today. Well, I'm going to try something new on today's episode that's never been done here on Deeper Still. Don't worry, it's not actually all that revolutionary, but it's just something kind of fun. I'm calling today's episode a bonus episode. I'm doing this because I've invited back a guest who was just on a couple of months ago because I want to continue a conversation that we had in November about the journey of emerging adults. Dr. Steve Argue is an associate professor of youth, family, and culture at Fuller Theological Seminary and the co-author of the book, Growing With, Every Parent's Guide to Helping Teenagers and Young Adults Thrive in Their Faith, Family, and Future, which is where a lot of our content in the conversation comes from today. The reason I invited Steve back was because not only did he do a fantastic job on the podcast, and hey, if you have not listened to that episode, I would encourage you, go back and listen to it. It's kind of part one on this conversation, but Steve traveled from his home in California to cold, snowy January Chicago to be a guest preacher here at Christ Church, which is the church where I serve on staff and record this podcast. And Steve preached an amazing sermon. He knocked it out of the park. You can find that message at Christchurch.us in our media library. I would encourage you, listen to it, listen to it, listen to it. But because Steve was here in person, we decided to have a little fun and create an opportunity to actually sit across from one another and to continue this conversation, and it was an absolute delight. It also gave me the opportunity to invite my friend and colleague, our Christchurch family pastor, Steve Noble, into the conversation, which was such a treat. You will just be so blessed by what he has to share today. Not only does Steve serve as a wonderful resource to families here at Christchurch, but Steve is getting his Doctor of Ministry in Youth and Family Culture from Fuller. And fun fact, Steve Noble is a student of Dr. Argue. So much goodness, so much joy, so much fun in this conversation today, so much intentionality as we partner together to focus a little bit more on what it's like to come alongside young people with empathy and warmth and be a partner in their faith journey. So, lots of context I'm throwing at you, but I'm excited about this conversation. So, let's get to it. The very first bonus episode. Uh, Join in, listen in. I do hope you'll share this with someone else and enjoy the conversation. Well, Steve and Steve, welcome to Deeper Still. We're calling this a bonus episode. I've never done a bonus episode before. So welcome both of you. Thanks for being back again, Steve uh, Argue and Steve Noble. Thank you for being on for the very first time. I'm so excited to have you both here.
1: Glad to be with you.
2: Oh, this is so great. Like, Deeper Still, Deeper Steves. Like, there's two Steves. Like, there's (laughs) so many things that we can do with this. But I'm so excited to be part of a bonus episode. And there is a rebrand opportunity. There
0: is a rebrand opportunity, you think.
2: Deeper Steve. Deeper Steve. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. That sounds like a scary scary place to go, but it could be (laughs) Steve, you and I would have a good time with that.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, great to be with you all. Well, it's great to be here. Uh, For those who are uh, part of our Christ Church family, uh, some people may know that Steve, you have been here with us now for the whole weekend, Mm -hmm. and so um, it has been incredibly fun to have you, to get to know you. Now we sit here on this afternoon after you have spent time at dinner with us, you have preached multiple sermons, you have done a parenting workshop, and now I feel like we're sitting here as friends and mm-hmm. as colleagues, and just having an opportunity to talk about some things that are passionate uh, for us that are near and dear to our hearts. Mm-hmm. And so I am excited about that. What I want to start, because I'm realizing as people are listening, um, Steve Noble, we're gonna to have to figure out how to do this. Is it? Is I've never interviewed two people with the same name before, so we're gonna to have to figure this out. But you guys know each other in a very particular context, and so tell us a little bit about how the two of you met. And actually, um, Steve Noble, how you brought Doctor Argue here? Maybe that's what I'll do, Doctor Argue. Maybe that's the way to do it.
1: You've, you you earn the doctor. You can have it. Oh man, I have had the privilege of knowing Steve Argue for. About seven years now, mm-hmm. we we at Christchurch for a long time have interfaced with the Fuller Youth Institute. FYI is, is is and has been doing some of the best ministry research and equipping and and coaching that can be found anywhere. So for a lot of years, Christ Church has has been to Pasadena to spend time mm-hmm. with the Fuller Youth Institute, and so I I met Steve seven years ago during a a, a cohort there, and for the last three years have had the great privilege of studying with Steve as I, I work towards a doctor of ministry degree. So Steve and I have have spent some time together and it's been an absolute joy to share Steve with Christchurch and,
2: and get allow that this community that I love so much to get to know someone who I, I love and respect. I and love lit. that. Pretty soon you're gonna be doctor as well. So now you're gonna that's have that right. problem. So there won't be the Steves, there will be the doctors. Hey. Then we'll have to figure that out. Another rebrand. <laughs> yeah another rebrand. <laughs> Steve, I have loved studying with you. I think one of the beauties of our Doctor of Ministry program is the three-year cohort. Um, I love teaching my master's students, but oftentimes that's maybe for a 10-week period. Maybe a student will take another class of mine. But to to have three years with you where you are sharing your thinking with me, and that brings in context and things you're working through um is a real privilege and I feel like one of the things I love as a professor is not simply teaching things but to um appreciate what's important to my students and I think that when I read your work I it's familiar to me because we've spent time together and um and I really love that about you I love your passion um you, you have many interests that come together in some really beautiful ways, and um, you know you you inspire me with your work, and so it's a it's a real gift. I mean, it's really cool that we've we've made that connection. So, and it's great to be. I mean, I was telling you today, it was just great to be in this space with you. We you know I know of Christchurch, and you know we've talked about you know things, but you to see you be a pastor today and to see Mm -hmm. you lead me around uh, the church here, it was just a real real treat. So um, it's been great. Mm -hmm. Great. Can I
1: make a connect? I I talk to so many parents and and people in in this space who who just universally want to be better parents. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a community where we we just, we care deeply about the young people here and we we want to be better, but we live in a culture where where there's so many quick fixes. And there's so many 10-step processes, to, to, 10 steps to be a great parent. And what you articulated really, I, I think, is some of the secret sauce of Christian life together is, mm. is that formation happens, parenting happens, life happens over time. Mm. Um, and, and that's freeing to parents. And I hope, it, and we'll talk more about this over the course of the next few minutes, but yeah. but something really special happens when parents kind of unburden themselves with the, I need, I need to fix this quick. Just yeah. kind of take on, what if, what if I just go on a journey of life, of faithing, uh, of spending time with a growth with my young person?
2: That's freeing.
1: That's easier. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I love that. I mean, it takes the pressure off a little bit. Um, and I love, you know, I think we're going to get into it as you ask us questions. But I love the fact that you start with parents want to be better. That's a different place than parents are screwing up. You know, I think the good news of the gospel is that we start with, like, the best intention. Like, we all want to have good relationship and live good lives. Um, It just doesn't always work that way. But I'd rather start with that reality than you're screwing everything up and you're terrible. Like, you know what I mean? I'll roll my eyes and maybe try to help you. And I think I love that about both of you is I think there's a positivity that comes to the way you think about people and ministry and relationships that makes a difference. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, I, I think you're both spot on, and I love the fact that you are naming things out loud right now because I think that's another thing about parenting that so often as we go along the journey, we don't take time to name the hard things, the positive things, the good things, even how you introduced each other. You are naming things that is a knowing about one another. Mm -hmm. Uh, You are naming things that maybe, um, sometimes as parents, we just skip by, whether it's about our children or about the spaces that we're in, and we don't take time to have these conversations and name the beautiful things that we see and the hard things that we see. And I think that's one of the, the wonderful things about just your presence here this weekend, Dr. Argue, and this conversation is we're inviting people in and in this case we're inviting parents in specifically to just name some of those things that we all feel that sometimes we're afraid to acknowledge on this journey together but when we name them it puts it in a different light and says you know what there is there is hope we are on this journey together mm-hmm. and we all want the same thing for our parents for our children for our relationships
2: I love that yes <laughs> Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. Tell me more. I learned I know. that from you today. I, you said you have that on your wall that yeah. you asked your children, tell me more. <laughs> so I'm just going to say that every time we get know. to a spot. Just tell me more. Tell,
2: I know, you can. You can do that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the things, um, you know, we came out of this parenting workshop and just so much rich conversation, rich content, but a lot of it was based off of your book, Mm. uh, Dr. Argue, called Growing With. And the subtitle of that book is Growing With, um, a mutual journey of intentional growth for both ourselves and our children that trusts God to transform us all. And I would, I would love to hear from you just to unpack a little bit about mm-hmm. what uh, the meat is of that subtitle. And then, Steve, I'm going to ask you to chime in and hear what, uh, share what you hear as you listen to Doctor argue unpack that a little bit.
2: That subtitle d- 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 was a lot of work b- b- because I think we were trying to get our heads around like what what do we mean by growing with, right? And so. Um, So I'm proud of that definition simply because it came with a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. But I think that the impulse for it um, was something that I mentioned today in the seminar. And that is is I think a lot of the parenting books for younger children can oftentimes be, um, for better or for worse, more behavior-oriented. How to get your kids to sleep better. How to help them do something. And the, the impulse is the book is designed, other books are designed to get kids to do certain things. But that just doesn't work anymore as your kids get older. They're developing their own agency, they're growing themselves, you're changing, they're changing and all that comes with that. So this idea of a mutual journey is actually true. Like this isn't about changing our kids, it's about all of us changing all the time and being and naming that reality. Um, which I think is really, really important. And this idea of intentional growth is more than just haphazard growth. I think that we have to realize as parents that, and this is what you're all about, um, w- there's part of parenting that's improvisational, but there's also an intentionality that goes in the work that we do as parents. Like, what what do we aspire our kids to become? What kind of parent do I need to be? Where are the challenges associated with that? We can't... Um, roll with that and not closely pay attention to those things and the uniqueness of each of our kids. So there's an intentionality that comes with that. And then I do think there is this idea of transformation. And, you know, I was talking with other parents after the seminar today as well, and I even said it at the seminar, like parenting like does something to you. It brings out the best and worst in you. Um, and there's something quite formative about having children that reflect back to you their their experience of you, um, the parts that are quite beautiful and the parts that are quite frankly, embarrassing, right? And so it, it's a, it, you know, the parenting is, you know, I'd say this to all your listeners. I mean, it, it's a courageous task, right? I mean, it's not for the weak of heart. It's not for the faint of heart. And um, and I think when we name it, um, as, you, as you mentioned earlier, I, I think it allows us to own that reality and not be ashamed of it or embarrassed of it or um, just kind of wish it away. It cause It challenges us to be more intentional, and I think that becomes really important as our kids move into the teenage and emerging adult years. Like that intentionality and focus, like parents just have to lean in more. There's just no other way around it, and I think that's what we're trying to get at. That's really beautiful. I,
1: I, I want to talk context. Um, we, our church is in the western suburbs of Chicago, some of the more affluent, um, high achieving, high test scores. Our schools are always on. Best of list. Kids in our our ministries are routinely going to Big Ten school, Big Ten school, Big Ten school, mm-hmm. Ivy League. Um, it's in the water almost. This 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 pressure to just have gilded edges, to have everything buttoned up and 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 feel be, be perfect. Mm-hmm. And often when I'm talking to parents, they're they're coming and and bringing up a conversation or starting a conversation because they're my, my kid isn't where I thought they'd be. Uh-huh. They're, they're not the person I thought they'd be. I'm not the parent I thought they'd be. And I think, I think that is deeply connected in one, in one sense to, I, I, I feel pressure to be perfect. yeah. And I realize I'm not, I realize my kid's not, and that's really hard. And, and when we live in a community that isn't comfortable having the conversation and being open and vulnerable and, and real that none of us have it figured out, mm-hmm. um, that feels really, really hard. And so there is something to to naming that none of us have this figured out, uh-huh. naming the pressure we feel to act like we have it figured out. Um, and then the the freedom, the, the permission that comes from saying, you know, it's okay that your kid isn't right now who who you want them to be. Uh-huh. Um, that that may, maybe yeah, maybe fifteen isn't looking like you thought fifteen was going to look yeah. like. But we're on a journey. We're we're walking together. We're 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 committing to spend life together. We're we're the word in the, in the subtitle formation, right? We're forming. Yeah. Um, we're 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 allowing our families, our, us as parents, and our kids to be formed together by the gospel. Um, it's freeing. Because we can say, well, I don't have it figured out, mm-hmm. um, and and we can be honest with the people in our community, and say, yeah, you don't either. <laughs> That's yeah. okay. That's yeah. okay. Yeah,
0: I I remember a specific moment. I was a youth mentor here. Um, pre-pandemic so my last year was in the pandemic but i remember a specific moment with uh, my group of of girls in our ministry here they were sophomores and and i remember them kind of talking about this pressure and how they feel like they have to have it all together and i remember just telling them girls it's okay to not be okay like you get that right it's okay to not be okay and i remember to a person 10 16 year old girls sitting around the room and just starting to cry wow and it, in that moment, I realized they don't know that it's okay not to be okay. And I think we have a generation of parents that are walking around with that feeling, that same pressure of not knowing that it's okay not to be okay mm-hmm. when it comes to our parenting journeys, when our kids don't look like everyone else or our kids are struggling to look at one another and say, it's okay that they're not okay. And it's okay that we're not okay.
2: Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think it's true. And you know, I think a lot of times we focus on young people and mental health and the things mm-hmm. they're going through, but I mean, like we said, like parents are going through their own challenges um of becoming and working through things in their lives, right? And so um I think we just need a gentleness when with we have to be gentle with each other more than sometimes maybe uh, that doesn't always happen, I suppose, where um we can just be really harsh on ourselves and harsh on each other when we just need a a gentleness. And I think there's good news in that, right? It doesn't mean that we don't care about life or accomplishing things or becoming, but you know, I think this pressure that the, you know, to be perfect or to succeed in everything at the best and highest level, um, is just a, it's an impossibility. Like no one can be the best at everything because that that's not the best then. Right? Like, and, um, and I don't know how we got caught in this calibrated loop where we can't seem to get out of it. And I, that's the other thing I wonder with parents is like, I just don't think, I don't think anybody likes it, but nobody knows how to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like, how do you get off the, the merry-go-round when it's just just constantly spinning? Right. Like, I don't know, but I, I, I feel that a lot. It's something that gives, gives me
1: hope about the rising generation. I will say uh-huh. on this front, I have found, the young people in our church to be some of the loudest voices for vulnerability, crying out for, for vulnerability, for, for honesty, mm-hmm. um, for, for vulnerability. They, they want, they want us to be real. They want to name that they want to hold that in the open. Our, our young people are far more comfortable having conversations about mm-hmm. mental health or about where they're, they're not, where things aren't quite feeling right. Um, and we, at, as a, the parents in the room haven't always modeled well how to do that yeah. um, but they, they are in small ways leading the charge and I think our church will be healthier for their voices I um, love that yeah
0: mm-hmm. Dr. Argue, you brought up um, two struggles that you see parents facing today, and it goes with what Steve has been saying: is struggle one, your child isn't who you thought they would be, and mm-hmm. struggle two, your relationship with your child isn't what you thought it would be. Yeah. Can you speak into those a little <laughs> bit? Unpack those a little bit Woo. for us. Yeah.
2: You know, um, it's funny, right? Like I think, I think there's something quite remarkable about people in that I think we aspire toward something. Uh, We have a vision of who we want to be, who we want those that we love to be. And I don't think that's all bad. I think that those are just the dreams that, um, that we have. And I think what we've learned through the interviews of parents and quite frankly, through my own experience, I think I don't realize that I do it, but I start to create images of how I think the future is going to look. And the future never looks like that. And I, I think that, maybe don't talk about this a lot with parenting, I, I think there's a grieving element that parents go through. Um, it's not a judgment call. We grieve a vision or a dream that we have because it's just different. And, and so I think it comes out in these two phrases, uh, Swann, that you brought up, that there is this sense of um, realizing that our kids are just different than um that we thought they would be uh, our, our at least our, our visions of who we thought they would be um uh, and that's not better or worse it's just different um and so we're we're as parents trying to negotiate how do i bring together this dream that i have and this reality that's out there and how do i how do i bring that um together and then i i think the one that's even more gut-wrenching is that i think we have this idea that we're always going to have have a great relationship with our kids and it usually starts out that way I think when our kids are smaller in many ways we can have a relationship on our terms right I pick the kid up I put them on my lap I walk with them um, they follow my schedule and everything that comes with that and as they get older I realize like oh, wait, well, they don't want to do that, or they have a different schedule than me, or they have different preferences and all that comes with that. And so what begins to happen is the the dream that I have about even what the relationship looks like begins to look different and sometimes can be really painful because it's not the same. And, um, And I think this is where a lot of guilt and shame comes in as well. And so we know theologically that I think when we think that we're not doing it right or that somehow we've screwed up as parents that is causing our kid not being who we thought they would be or our relationship falling apart But i think those are the moments that we begin to isolate ourselves we pull back we're unwilling to maybe share with others about our families we we hold this um guilt and shame that keeps us from reaching out and so parenting becomes a a lonely and isolated place that's filled with disappointment and grieving and we don't know where to go with it. And, um, and, and I think getting back to a theme that's on this podcast of naming those things, I think if we can name those things, I think we can break out of this isolating that happens when we let those two statements haunt us. They don't need to haunt us, but they, but, uh, but they are real. And, um, and so I, I think we wanted to start talking about that in the seminar I did today, but also in the book, just because I think we just want an honesty with that right? And um, and to start where the real need is. And, uh, and again, I think parenting always comes back to that, just a, a deep honesty um, about how things are really, really going. So the, the attempt there was to sort of name these things and, uh, and kind of going first, like somebody has to go first, right? And I think when someone goes first, I think other people are, are more open to kind of say, oh yeah, me too, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the more opportunities we can give for people to say me too in situations when it comes to parenting, I think the better it is, because I think it allows for possibility for people to be honest and, and being honest sets us free.
0: Mm. Steve, do you find that to be true as you interact with parents and families when they're able to start naming those things and talking about them out loud? Do you see that that's helpful for them?
1: Hugely. And this is, I'll put my pastor hat on, I guess, this is just true of, of life in, in the church, is that, that when, we, when we try to do faith on our own, it's really hard. We're, we're made to be people on a journey together, and that, that is true of just life following Jesus, and it's absolutely true of this, this journey of parent, parenting, the parents in our community who have people, who have a small group or or a community or people that they're walking with and they and the, the people who feel comfortable carrying together the the hurts and the challenges of life there's there's a freedom mm. that comes in that the, there's the the story in the gospels of the the four friends carrying their friend to to Jesus right we we sometimes as parents we need people helping carry our kids and we sometimes need our friends to carry us and keep bringing us back to Jesus, and trust that that we serve a God who is in the business of making what is broken whole, mm-hmm. and and transforming what what is not what we thought it would be. We we as we follow Jesus, we follow a God who who is in the action of making all things new. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we unite our family's story in um, our community story and our small group story to that bigger story that God is in the business of making all things new. And we, we hold that together with people who help us to believe that it's immensely freeing. And
2: I, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. See that. I really love that. You know what, something that came up today that, and some of our conversations today as well is, you know, I, I'm finding it interesting that parents seem to resonate with this idea. Like parenting is like new for, for people, like they're like, they 've never done it before, like with their firstborn or whatever, mm-hmm. right? So I sometimes wonder if the expectations that we have of kids also reflects um, the expectations that we have of ourselves as the kind of parent we 're going to be like i 'm going to be the best parent i 'm not going to be like my parents i 'm going to be better or I'm mm-hmm. definitely going to be better than like that family over there in the restaurant where the kids are going crazy yes. right so <laughs> so we place these expectations on ourselves, so those questions are not just about their kids, but I think sometimes it's this realization like wow i 'm not a perfect parent. I'm not crushing it like I thought I would. Um, This is exposing the shadow sides of me that are quite embarrassing. So it becomes very personal very, very quickly. And um, I think that's just something for us to think about. Like sometimes it's easy to blame our kids for being... I don't know, like they're not who we want them to be or we're frustrated with them or we need to help them. But I think actually it has a lot of times just to do with our own insecurities. Is that, do you think that's true?
0: Oh, I think it's so true. And I I think I'm shaking my head because I've experienced that Mm. as a parent, right? When your kids are doing well, you think you're doing well. And when your kids are not doing well, you think you're doing something mm-hmm. wrong. And yeah. no matter how many times the experts tell you that you know those two things aren't necessarily uh, intertwined, as a parent, you can't help but think. Everything your child does is a reflection of you for yeah. better or for worse. And it yeah. becomes part of your identity. And it's so hard to separate those things because, um, yeah, it's like your parent or your, your child can just be this walking uh, billboard of all of your successes and failures wrapped right. into one. And that's not true. And it is true all at the same time.
2: I agree with that. Yeah. And I think as our kids get older, we almost feel that more acutely. Wouldn't mm-hmm. you say? Like, I don't know why, but like, it's like, well you know they're under our household and this is who they are and
0: yes yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's funny, during the parenting workshop today, my son called me, and I texted him and said, I can't take a call right now. I'm in a parenting workshop. And he said, Mom, it's about time. <laughs> 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 He's 20 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, that's great. Thanks. That's Fair enough. Awesome. I know. Enough, right? I know I fair enough. That's really funny. Um, you know, one of the things I found so helpful today uh, about some of your research is the way you are able to articulate. You know, we're talking about pastoral and theolo- theological things, which is so important and so needed. But I think um, some of those things we as believers is easier to grab onto and we aren't always as adept at knowing some of the more practical things of um, why we relate to our kids in certain ways or where we get it wrong. And I thought your research was so helpful in illuminating (laughs) those and giving words to some things that Uh I went, oh, that's why I get that wrong oh, that okay, that's why my kid is in this certain um, phase of their journey and why they're experiencing the world the way they are. And so I'm yeah. wondering, and I know we could spend a lot of time on this. <laughs> we'll have to keep it brief. I'll tell people, go read the book, go read the book, go read yeah. the book. Um, but if you can talk a little bit about those three stages of children as they grow, and more importantly, but perhaps, those three stages of parenting yeah. as parents grow. Yeah. I found that so helpful today.
2: You looked at me directly in the eye when you said, be brief. So I will take that. <laughs> I would take that to heart. <laughs> yeah, so really quickly, if it's a mutual journey, we recognize the fact that three things are happening. Our children are changing as they're getting older, we are changing as we are getting older, and our relationship is changing as it is maturing. So, so relationship is not a static term. It is a, it is a dynamic, ever-changing uh, element that we have to keep that in mind. And I think if we start there, it allows us to be nimble and oftentimes maybe less discouraged, as I'll explain in a second. So, the three phases as we think about age 13 to 30, really have these three things that the teenage years, 13 to 18, we call learners. These are people that just are younger in their faith. They're learning about what, uh, in life, and learning about what it means to live life, to manage a schedule, to um, work through um, a disagreement, to um, manage the everyday things of life. We can't expect that they know that by osmosis. They need to learn those things. Um, The the next stage, really, 18 to 23, we call uh, explorer, and explorers are those that um, have a little more uh, autonomy and agency in their lives. They're starting to make decisions for themselves, but they are also overwhelmed by the choices that they have. So there is an excitement And there is a lack of confidence that sometimes comes with this area as well. They don't need someone to tell them what to do, but they still need someone that can uh, walk with them along the way, which I'll explain in a second. And then focusers, we look at the 23 to 29, 30-year-old. These are people that uh, are a little bit older. They've made some choices for better or for worse along the way to bring clarity to the way they think about their lives, their relationships, and everything else. And they're just more focused on where they're going. And so they need something different. Um, from a parent. They don't need them to tell them what to do. They just need someone that might be there for them when things, when they get stuck. So as we think about those three, we ask ourselves, well, what kind of parent is best for each of these? The learner needs a teacher, a parent that is willing to think about this idea of teaching. And again, I mentioned in today, that's not lecturing. It's this idea of scaffolding, or how do we help, um, can help young people who are learners connect the dots to what it means to uh, own their lives, be responsible and do the things that they need to do. And so um, there's a patience that comes with the teacher that allows them to, to cultivate that. And that's something that we need to do. An explorer needs a guide. A guide is someone that walks with them, knows. Uh, there's the art of letting them take the lead, and there are times when in life there are technical things that they've never done before that the guide has to go first and kind of lead the way. And so the guide is really tricky because there are, you have to kind of know when to lead and when to hold back and and kind of do that dance. And so again, that's what tw- you know, eighteen to twenty-three year olds need. The focuser is more on their own; they really are sort of gaining their own sort of sense of agency and autonomy. And I mentioned today in the uh, in the seminar, like, uh, you know, I think as a parent, sometimes that's the hardest stage because we can't dictate the relationship. In some ways, uh, focusers are gonna come to the parent at that age when they need them for very specific things. That is, they need the wisdom of the parent or whatever associated with that. So if we think about these stages and the type of parent that um, a young person needs, a child needs, that helps us know how to negotiate the relationship. The problem happens is when we cross the signals. When you have a learner that has a a, a parent that's acting like a resourcer, that's like a distant parent. Like they are like, well, you figured out yourself, I had to do that. And so there's too much distance when they actually need something more from the parent. Or we've heard a, a, a similar phrase, this idea of a helicopter parent, when maybe you have an explorer child, but the parent is still playing a teacher role where they're over-involved and overly prescriptive. Um, And so there's a dissonance. And so sometimes the reason the relationship doesn't work is that the lines are crossed. And then what I said, and I'll make this really brief, is that I think a lot of times what we learn from interviewing parents was that sometimes parents are really discouraged when the relationship doesn't feel like it's working. Like we've failed or like my parenting is over. I guess I've done all that I can do. Kara and I like to reframe that to say it's not over. It's just the relationship is changing. Your child is growing and needs something different from you. And so as a parent, I have to reframe what my role is with my child so that I can be the parent that they need me to be um, Mm -hmm. in those particular moments. And I think that's really hopeful because it it doesn't say, like, well, you screwed up. It's just that your kid is growing and we have to – Engage them in, in a different sort of way. So there's work associated with that. Don't get me wrong, but it's hopeful that it's not over. There's actually hope for that. So that's the way that we talked about it in the book. Steve, I'm curious from you, like from a pastoral perspective, uh, how that resonates. Yeah,
1: I I want to chime in with one more thing that you said yeah. earlier is your kid will move along then and, and, and the parent your kid needs now in in a few weeks or a few years will be (laughs) will be different yeah um and and that for parents can feel so jarring right because we were nailing it we we were we were we were doing so good and and now all of a sudden you wake up one morning and and you you don't feel like the parent your your kid needs and i loved how you are you've articulated in the book that that if your if your kid is progressing along that line that's good they're yeah. doing it. They're they're yeah. they're growing into an adult. They're like they, you have set them up for six for, yeah. for to be on the right track. Um, and it's to us, it's the adults in the room. We have to change. We yeah. have to listen. We have to pay attention, we have to empathize well. Yeah. Um and and process and wonder, all right, who does my kid need me to be? Yeah. Um and that's really hard. And that's that's
2: really hard. Mm-hmm. I think it is, and, you know, I'd be curious as you talk with parents. I think sometimes, like, when I was a pastor, like, parents would come to me like, I think there's something wrong with my child. Can you talk with them? And the intention is good. I don't feel bad about that. But sometimes I'm like, ah think it's your child i actually think it's you you know i think i think i've I've never thought no 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 right like i i do think i I think it's interesting and i think those are really hard conversations but if we can do it with a generous uh, attitude i think it's helpful for parents to reflect on the fact that maybe they're the ones that need to need to reimagine their role um because they're like you said steve the kids are changing they're growing up they have different aspirations and needs uh, uh, from parents. So I really love that. I find it to be, and I'm going to get ahead on the our plan here.
1: I find it to be helpful. So many parents almost have this binary sense of faith or, or is my kid doing all right? Or are they on mm-hmm. track? They're either on track or they're off track. They're either, they're either following Jesus or they're not. They're, they're, they have great relationships or they don't. And some of your framing in the book around, around Faithing instead of faith as a binary, um, mm-hmm. instead of faith being just this this on off switch, we get to be people who are who are in the action of faithing, who are yeah. who are on a journey of of knowing God over a lifetime as yeah. together. Um, our kids aren't on the right track or the wrong track. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a that's a binary yes no good bad. Right. More often. Our, our kids are on a, on a complicated track, yeah. And life and, and the world is complex, and, and we get to, as parents, be people who walk over time together with with warm relationship, with kindness, with with empathy with with yeah. our, our kids. And so, so in the pastoral conversations I have with parents as they, they navigate that those three phases, the anxiety points come up almost like, "Is my kid broken?" They yeah. they, they were they were doing good, and now they're doing. They're struggling. They 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 didn't have mental health problems. Now they do. Um, Yeah. And there's such peace and such freedom and and health that comes in reframing that 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 vision and realizing we're on a journey. Your kids on a on a journey of becoming, of meaning making in the world. Mm -hmm. And we as adults, as parents, we get the immense privilege to walk with them and yeah. to journey with them and be formed yeah. because um, we do the binary thing too. We say, I'm a good yeah. parent. I'm a bad parent.
2: Yeah. Right. Um, right. Right. That's I'm, a good point. I'm failing or I'm not. I'm, and, and so let me, can I push you on, on that just huh? a little bit? I love that you talk about sort of the slow unfolding, you know, there's almost like we're being generous toward each other when we're, when we're like, Hey, you know what, this is a, we're in, we're in it for the long haul. Right. And I, I love that the thing I wrestle with as I talk with parents and I need your help with this. Honestly, I don't, I don't think I know the answer for this is that I also have the empathy toward parents where like the teenage years isn't forever. It's a really unique time. It's a really unique time where at 18, there's a good chance my kid is out of the house. Hmm. So as a parent, I feel the pressure to actually help them get on track because I feel like the clock is ticking, so how do you hold the tension of this slow unfolding graciousness that I think is crucial but also the reality that that the clock is ticking and a lot of parents are like i don't I don't have forever I only have like a few more years for them to get their act together before mm-hmm. they're out the door so do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. how do you, as a pastor, how do you hold that tension when you talk with parents? Yeah, wow. I feel that. I, I, I
1: sit a lot of, across a lot of tables mm-hmm. with, with parents who, who are navigating this. Um, I think we have a, a beautiful opportunity, and this is not a perfect answer. Um, th- we have a beautiful opportunity to unite our story our family's story, our kids' story, to the 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 greater story of what God is doing in the world, mm. and that feels like a cop out, churchy answer, but I, I think mm. it 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 right sizes things. Mm. Um, it 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 gives us freedom to like absolutely. The teenagers are not they, they end a- eighteen. Your kid's going to be out of the house, and, and we have to have it figured out. But when 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 they're when we don't live and die by oh my gosh we're my kid is not who I want to be, my kid has failed or I have failed. Um, but we, we view our parenting in light of of the action that God is doing in the world and, and God's mm-hmm. redeeming work in the world. It, it makes it makes that, that daunting finish line just feel less scary. Mm-hmm.
2: I like that.
0: Yeah, it's so I love this conversation for two reasons. One is I was sitting next to a mom and a daughter today at the at our workshop and They were having this very conversation. The daughter was 17, and the mom was saying to her, and she said, Mom, you gotta, like, you know, talking about these phases of the learner and the explorer, and um, she said, Mom, you sometimes are treating me like I'm still in this phase when I'm in this phase. And the mom said, literally, you're almost 18, and I'm running out of time, and there's so much you need to know. And I was just listening, and I don't say this. I'm, I promise you I'm not saying this as it's going to sound like I'm saying, like, I have this figured out. I'm not. But what I remember, so my children are 22 and 20. They're not that much beyond that. But I had that panicky feeling sending uh-huh. my daughter off to college, the first one. And I remember, like, as we were, um, you know, moving her into her dorm room her freshman year me going – and did I tell you this? And what about this? And what, it was just like the hours were ticking away and like we're at dinner and I'm like, but what, But I don't know, you know, and we're dropping her off. And I'm like, I didn't tell you. And I'm trying to like, and I had a wise woman tell me uh, before I took my daughter to college and her words just kept echoing me. She said, you're going to feel that way. And it's not true. Mm. There is still so much more yeah. to your parenting journey with your child. You feel like you have to have it all figured out when you ship them off to college. And there's so much more. And she said, and it gets so much better. Uh. And I have held on to those words. And now my daughter is graduating this spring from college. And I'm like, there is so much more. And it's gotten so much better. Mm. And all those things I thought I had to at the when the clock was ticking. Yeah. Wow, the conversations and the depth that we've had as she has transitioned into her next step of the journey. I'm like, this is starting to get kind of fun and not that there's not been hard parts, but watching her grow into this beautiful young woman and to realize that, that I've been with her on that journey. And also God is doing his own thing in her life that has nothing to do with me. There's a freedom that comes with that also. And so I just, I, I I feel the tension. I've been in that tension and also want to tell parents who may be listening, like it's okay. It doesn't end when they turn 18, there is so much more work to do and the journey is going to continue.
2: Yeah. I love that, that's such a great story. And you know, I mean, that's an anecdotal um, statement, but I will just second it with, we know from emerging adult research that the relationships um, between parents and child typically get better as they get older. And there's just a lot of hope in that. I think I love what you're saying to um, the rose colored glasses. There's actually a reality um, to that for a lot of different reasons. But I think, I think to look beyond 18, to reframe uh, the narrative, um, to be less stressed mm-hmm. and more um, open to what God might be doing, I think, is a, is a really great perspective. I love yeah. the way we talked about that.
1: I commend this book a lot to parents. Um, growing With is, is incredible. It's, it's a phenomenal resource for any parent who's navigating the teenage, young adult years. Something that, that I will bring up often mm-hmm. in conversations with parents as as they near eighteen, who is there like that mom in, in our workshop today, and feel that weight of, I have all these things I need to teach them. Uh, that's a real fear. Yeah. That is totally a legitimate that a, a thing that that is okay to to feel anxious about. What has been I have found to be really salient for for parents from your book is this the sense of relational warmth. Uh, Something yeah. that you talk about in the book is the fact that the biggest indicator that that kids that emerging adults will will emerge the teenage years with faith intact is not that we as parents nailed that list and taught them every single thing the biggest indicator by by leaps and bounds as i understand it is is warmth of relationship with the the faith mentors in their life with their parents and, and their yeah. the, the people who who they got to know in youth group that you can you don't can't throw your list out the window yeah but if you if you take on relational warmth and you follow Jesus yeah, and you take on spiritual practice in your life, that will move the needle materially. Can you talk to us more about relational warmth
2: yeah, I mean great great point yeah i i mean you know i mentioned it today in the seminar too like relational warmth is the conduit for the transference of all values and uh and religious beliefs in some ways i mean it's not a guarantee but it it the chances according to longitudinal research is that kids are more apt to adopt their parents beliefs if there's a, a warm relationship this commitment to to the relationship uh desire to want to be connected and continue to grow that relationship, And, you know, I think about that a lot um, in my own, uh, with my own kids. But then as we th- keep thinking about this with research is like, I think this gets back to Steve, what you said before. I think we have to play the long game. Like the, mm-hmm. what's most important is our relationship with our kids. Like I'm committed to that. I don't know what their lives are going to be like. We may disagree on things. We may have some rough patches, but I'm committed to being the best dad that I can be for my kids. And, um, and I want them to know that I'm in their corner, right? So they know that, and that I think that conduit helps them be comfortable with what we agree with and what we disagree with. There's room in the relationship for that to be there. When the relationship is cold, I think there isn't the room in the relationship to disagree or to talk about um, particular topics because the, the relationship is already on edge. So I think there's something quite powerful um, to us thinking about that. And I think that's harder as kids get older because they're pulling away. So to maintain a warm relationship, I think sometimes as parents, we can just feel really hurt. Like we're not the center of our kid's universe anymore. Mm-hmm. They don't think we're cool. Um, they prefer to spend time with their peers, uh, peers. all super like developmentally normal um, things. Um, but if we're not careful, that can become something that all of a sudden becomes an expectation that we place on them, or a grudge that we can hold that creates a, a cooling in the relationship when we don't when we don't mean mean that to happen. So that um, that warmth, I think, is is really really um, important. The other thing I've discovered, and again, this isn't research; this is more just my discovery with my own my own family. Is that I find that our kids just, need, especially if we're in a marriage relationship, our kids need each of the parents differently at different times. Like, our kids don't have. Like, Jen and I don't have the same relationship with uh, each of our kids. And it's not because we don't – one doesn't love more than the other or anything like that. There are just times when, like, our daughters need their mom, like, to talk about things that I don't really feel like I'm expert expert. And then there are times when they will come to me with certain things because they just need their dad, right? So – you know, I think this, the warmth allows for that, where there's not competition between the partners or anything like that. There's a chance for us to have this free-flowing relationship that really lowers the—it raises the temperature of love and lowers the temperature of, um, uh, of anxiety and tension that often, I think, rises there as well. So I think that's really, really crucial, which gets in then to faith transference and beliefs and faithing and other things that, you know, I think are really crucial that I think we as Christian parents care about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask both of you, what are some real tangible examples of what that relational warmth looks like? What can parents do and not just parents, but you know, Steve, you, you work in this ministry world where there are youth mentors and there are people that you mentioned before that come alongside our kids that we are, we are wanting to, to build those relationships. What are some real practical Mm. steps people can take to increase that relational warmth?
2: Mm. You want to go first?
1: Yeah, I'm going to jump in on one thing you said. Ah. So I think it's so good, and, and you, you kind of got us there. Your, your kids need each parent differently in different seasons, but we, we're also mindful that we have – everyone's family looks different, and yeah. not everyone has has the same-looking family, the same adults yeah. in the relationship, and that's one of the beautiful gifts of Christian community, Yeah, that, that the church gets to be that that we get to be family together in our tradition. We, we do infant baptism and part of the, yeah. the, the liturgy is, is at the end of the, the whole congregation stands up and the right. elder will ask, do you commit to being this kid's yeah. family essentially? And we emphatically more emphatic than we'll ever say anything in that, that room will say, yes, yeah. well, we're in for you. We're in for that kid. And so we get to be that we get to carry that baton. Um, we get to, to parents together,
2: um, with you, with you people listening. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, we talked about it in the seminar too. Like, a parent could be grandparent. It could be a, all types of parents. It can be parenting figures. Um, and I think you're uh, articulating that. And we think about the family of God, that we have that opportunity. And I think it takes the pressure a little bit off us as parents to think that we have to be everything all the time, all at once, right? Yes. Like, um, you know, there's we can be who we are and we can rely on others to also be there for us, whether that's a, you know, a, a spouse or a partner or a, just a, a family figure or whoever it might be. And I, I think there's a beautiful thing that you're leaning into there. So thanks for that.
1: To answer your question, <laughs> what is, what does relational warmth look like? Mm-hmm. It looks different in different spaces. I think if we as parents are leaving with empathy, we're quick to listen we're quick to believe the best in our kids. Relational warmth doesn't mean you're a, you're committing to being a pushover and you're letting your kid do whatever they want. Uh-huh. That's not it. It's it's committing to, to listening to them and to loving them and, and, and walking with them, st- taking the time to step into their world, care about the things they care about. If your kid watches some YouTuber, watch it. Yeah. Learn it. They're They're into some show or they're reading some book. Read it with them, go, go 10 steps down their road and live in their world as best you can. Invite their friends into their lives. Do you know your kids' friends' names? Mm-hmm. Do you know what, what, what your kids' friends are struggling with? Um, those, those relational things that we do so naturally in so many spaces, I think often in, in adult-child relationships, we don't always do that, we live surface area. Yeah, cuz we can get away with a surface area conversation and survive with a teenager. But as the adults in the room, it, it, it's up to us to to ask. Yeah. And and we get shut down sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. but put the effort in and ask and, and and care, go and sit at at their their plays and their sporting events and meet their friends and ask their friends how their friends are doing and then remember like oh Sally said her her grandma has cancer. How's she how's she doing? Mm. That's warmth. Yeah.
2: It's really, really good. Mm -hmm. I would say um, those are really good answers, so I'm just just adding to to that. I I think that parental warmth warmth looks like curiosity, where we don't make assumptions about our kids, but we constantly are sort of curious about who they are and who they're becoming. Um, And I think that that um, expresses itself in the questions that we ask them and this constant pursuit to get to know our kids better. It's easy, I think, to assume that we know our kids but they're changing and there's just more to learn about them. So I would say that's one thing. I think when they were a little bit younger and I think I took this in, you know, into their teenage years, um, I, I operate on a simple assumption that whenever possible, I will say yes rather than no. Hmm. So if they ask me to do something, I don't care what I'm doing. It's yes. Hey, can we go get a coffee? Yes. Uh, one example that uh, I think about a lot is like I'd ask them to go for a run and they're like, no, I can't go now. And I'd go out for a run and I'd come back and my, one of my daughters would be completely dressed in their running clothes. So they're like, hey, do you want to go for a run? I've just run. I, 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 I want to say in my inside voice is I already did that and you missed the boat. But no, the answer is yes, and I go out and run more with them. And so I think the, the impulse of yes is always, um, is always really, really helpful as, as well. And then another thing that – the final thing that I'll say that Steve, you – you kind of uh, alluded to this is I think we just need to recognize the fact that when our kids are younger they're pursuing us but there's a point when that turns and we have to pursue them so to reach out to them to offer to do something with them even if they say they don't want to the fact that we have extended ourselves to them counts for something and I think I think that communicates to our kids that we want to be with them and we want to connect with them and um, and I think we can't get discouraged when it doesn't work on our timing in our ways. But I think this constant commitment to finding connection, um, allows for warmth to happen. So I think I'd say that.
1: And we're invited as Jesus people, as parents to, to have our lives be a parable of, of God's love for us. Uh-huh. And we, we follow a God. We preach a God every week who who is in the action of pursuing us. Yeah, I love that. Who is eternally pursuing us. And, and how often do I turn my shoulder? How often do I not, not take the opportunity I have? And so we as parents, we get to be parables pointing our kids to God. And yeah. we're going to do it so imperfectly. We're going to fail so much, but... Err on the side of pursuing your kids yeah. um, because your kids will remember that and they may turn you down every single time yeah. for a season. Mm. Keep pursuing because yeah. that's what God does. I agree. Can I give one more practical thing? I think it's imminently practical. This is, this is a window into our, our student ministry training. Um, this is when we train our student ministry leaders, how, how to foster warmth of relationship in a small group. We use the rules of improv. So you you can Google it. Google Tina Fey has a whole whole deal on this, Um, but the number one rule of improv is is you don't say no. You say yes and. Uh Um, Your kid's going to come to you with stuff. They're going to ask you to do things. They're going to they're going to things are are going to feel so off the wall. Don't say you don't even say yes to everything. Don't let them put themselves in danger. But even in in conversations, oh that's interesting. That's interesting. Tell tell me more about that. let, let. you know we can actually do that, and I'm going to do it with you. Um, live in live in live in yes and world. I love that because uh, it opens a lot of doors. It opens doors because to conversation where kids don't feel shut down right, mm-hmm. right away they'll give you the thing beneath the thing that they're really thinking they'll they'll say, actually I, didn't, I had a parent in the workshop today um, her teenage son asked if he could sleep in, in an igloo that he made outside um, <laughs> it's -10 degrees in Chicago today yeah, of yeah. He did. yeah. Um, this this teenager middle schooler wanted to sleep in the igloo so he asked asked mom mom can I sleep in the igloo tonight and she said you know what sure go for it and he he he, he joked her. He said, "I didn't actually want to do. It. I just wanted to see." It.
2: <laughs> That's
1: um, but awesome. she fostered warmth. Yeah, it's it's so easy as a parent. She
2: fostered warmth in an igloo. <laughs> yeah, like just think about that relational warmth. Yeah, yeah, it's
0: good. Yeah. That's so. Good. I love that. Yeah, I love that too. Well, there is so much more we could tackle. I can't believe we are uh, out of time already. This has gone by so fast. Mm -hmm. I am going to make sure people know um, how to get in touch with you, Dr. Argue, and and learn all about your books. And you have an amazing website with so many resources. So we're going to point people there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Steve, I'm going to point people to uh, some of the resources we have here at this church for those who are part of our church family especially. So we will do all of that. I I just want to end with one parting question because we call this podcast Deeper Still. I'm not going to make you go all the way into my Deeper Still question because <laughs> of time. Um, but I, I would want to say, is there any last word of, um, you know, I'm thinking of parents who are struggling and need that that Deeper Still word of hope that they need to lean into? Or maybe there's a challenge. I mean, that was a great challenge, but another way that you would just say, lean in, go a little deeper still with your parents or with your kids on this journey. Do you have any last words of encouragement, hope, or challenge you want to share?
2: I think a mantra that we use with parents, and we've really learned this through the work that we did through the project, uh, is just simply, it's never too early and it's never too late Mm. to take a step toward your kid. So, you know, some of you listening might be doing really great with your, your child right now and to you i mean praise god for that and it's going to get even better and for those of you that you know are struggling like it's not going well and you think like it's over um i think i just want to say to you it's not that god is the god of of healing and of second chances and we have the hope of resurrection to know that in our relationships um Y- y- your kids need you, and um, and it can get better. And so I, I would just hope that all of us um, would not lose that hope and recognize the fact that there's always possibility and there's always hope. Mm.
0: So good, Steve. What would you say?
1: You don't have to do it alone. Mm. You, in fact, you shouldn't do it alone. We and all speak as a pastor at Christ Church. I know many of our listeners are from Christ Church. You don't have to do it alone. There's there's always going to be a cultural drift to to being on an island as a family. I know you're busy. I know there's stuff going on. I know everyone's got a thing and and your kids have sports practice and you're you're driving them around. We are meant to live out our faith within community. And and when things are going well and I hope they're going well, it is still better to experience that joy of of life at its, at its fullest within meaningful community. Mm-hmm. So f- so find it for those times. And absolutely when life is hard, and parenting is hard, grandparenting is hard, just life is hard. Mm-hmm. And in those hard moments, we get to be people who carry each other. We get to be people who, who remind each other, your kid's gonna be okay. That Jesus is in the business of making, making all things new. Um, we, we, we need people in our lives who point us back to the, to the gospel, point us back to the cross, point us back to resurrection. Um, and we absolutely need that as we, on our parenting journeys. And so if you're not in a small group, I'd love, love to encourage you to, to find one. If you don't have people that you can talk to, you can ask hard questions with and cry with, I would love to help you find those people, um, because it makes all the difference in the world. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, thank you, Steve, for ending there. As someone who's been part of this church community for the last 17 years and raised my kids here, I would I would be nowhere without this community and the people who have surrounded us on our parenting journey, and you have been one of those people. And so thanks for being a pastor, a colleague, a friend. I appreciate you, and I'm grateful for you um, being here with us today. Dr. Argue, you have spent the last 48 hours just diving in, investing so much time and energy and passion into our church family. And so I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What a joy it has been to have you here this weekend.
2: It's been a joy right back. Thanks so much. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Thanks.
0: Well, friends, thanks so much for joining us today. So much we still didn't get to on this topic, which is why you need to go right now to stephenargue.com. Check out his resources, see what he's all about, pick up a copy of Growing With, If you are a parent of a young person, if you care about young people, if you are a grandparent of a young person, this is just such a phenomenal resource. I cannot recommend it highly enough. I'm going to tell everyone I know about it. So go pick up a copy and find some people to talk to about it and be reminded that you are not alone on this journey. Alrighty, friends. Well, we'll be back in two weeks when I'll be having another guest who has been on the show before that I'm so excited to invite back. It's Jen Pollock-Michelle. Jen is an author, a speaker, a deep thinker who has so much to say about so many things. But we are going to be talking about her book, In Good Time. Eight Habits for Reimagining Productivity, Resisting Hurry, and Practicing Peace. I mean, who doesn't need that? We're also going to be talking about a rule of life and what that might look like for you and me to put into practice in our lives as we begin this journey on 2024. And so friends, come back, join us, be sure to invite a friend along, and let us know what you think. Until then, be sure to pay attention to how God is calling you to go deeper still and go in His grace.